Beyond the Baseline, the SI Tennis Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter the promo code BEYOND, B-E-Y-O-N-D, at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to 200 bucks. We're also brought to you by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, get to your seat, download the SeatGeek app, enter our code BEYOND, get $20 off your first tickets. Hey everyone, John Wertheim with this week's Sports Illustrated Beyond the Baseline Tennis Podcast. It is a rainy Thursday out here at the U.S. Open. I will warn you in advance, you may hear announcements, a lot of scrambling, trying to figure out the schedule. We hadn't had rain for 10 days, and now this weekend looks a little bit dicey. The good news, we get a roof next year. So this is the last year we do this fire drill, but right now... Serena Williams is still the story of the tournament. She was when we began, and she is still here five rounds later. We're ready for the women's semis and the men's semis. I've got Elizabeth Newman, tennis editor, on the line. Elizabeth, how are you? I'm not doing too badly. How are you? Well, a little wet and a little eager to hear how these scheduling issues are going to be resolved. Do you have I'm like a, a little U.S. Bit open looking at the weather map? But <laughs> somehow these things always work out in the end and again it's the last year of doing this next year we get the roof and you wish they'd had it for this year but at least this is the last year we do this drill were you able to snag a u.s open signature umbrella i am umbrella free i don't traffic in swag elizabeth <laughs> uh but you were, you were out here too and i wondered if you shared my uh impressions of serena williams which is she came here with immense amounts of pressure it was funny. Some days she admitted to it. I'm doing karaoke to relieve myself of the pressure. Or her camp said, you know, basically she's ordering room service so she can inoculate herself from the pressure. And other times she'd say, hey, I don't have any pressure. I don't feel any pressure. This is just like another tournament. You guys are making a big deal of it. I'm not. Um, but here's where we stand. Five matches down, two to go. And she has played a very strange first-round match against an opponent. I don't know if you saw her tweet Diachenko, but... She's had Achilles heel surgery in the last week and clearly was in no shape to compete against Serena. So that was a strange match. Then Serena was really subpar in her second round, got through that. In the third round, remember, she dropped that set to Bethany Maddox-Sands. Scared me a little bit there. That was a bonafide scare. That seemed to me to be the Heather Watson match of the U.S. Open. Um, At this stage in the game, Bethany is dangerous. It was a weird dynamic in that she and Serena are friendly they're contemporaries. They've been on Fed Cup teams together. Bethany's one of these hard-charging, attacking players who's hard to prepare for, but Serena got by that. Actually looked terrific in the third set. Then Serena played a dynamite match against Madison Keys. She beat Venus in a fraught match that we've discussed. And you could make the point that, hey, look, she hasn't had to play a top-ten opponent and where's the competition. But I would submit that these five matches against very different opponents, very different set of circumstances, very different dynamic, that's a challenge of a different kind. And here we are, Serena was a story coming in, which you win this Grand Slam, first player in 28 years, and that remains the dominant story 
of the U.S. Open. Elizabeth, when you were out here, what else besides Serena? I feel like a lot of, a lot of good stories have sort of been caught in the folds just because Serena's sucked up so much oxygen here. What other... Uh, what other stories impressed you? What other players impressed you? Well, I'm going to keep it in the Williams family. I think aside from Serena, I was really most impressed with Venus. Um, you know, coming into the tournament, she had has probably been playing her best tennis in the last five years. I mean, going to the, fin- the quarterfinals against Serena, it's her second quarterfinals in a Grand Slam this year. Um, and in that match against Serena, I mean, she hit the ball like the Venus of old. I was pleasantly surprised to see how well she served, how big her returns were. It wasn't until, you know, the third set where I think fatigue started to take in and Serena started to dominate and realize, I could lose this to Big Sister. But throughout, Venus has played like, you know, a former U.S. Open champion with nothing to lose. I'm with you on that. 35 years old. 35. Wish they were, 35. It's, uh, that's eligibility on, uh, on the senior tour. And here's <laughs> Venus. And not just that second set against Serena, but remember, she beat Belinda Bencic, who was sort of the, the flavor of the month and a player that the odds makers had way higher than her seating of number 12. And Venus beat her easily. Routinely yeah, easily. Didn't in the break round a sweat. Serena. So, so in the third round. So, you know, I, I think that uh, Venus has played definitely one of the takeaways here. A bit of a shame that. That couldn't have been the final. What if, what if uh, Serena had beaten her sister to win the Grand Slam? That, that seemed to me more poetic. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, I was really pitied Venus in the sense that she was in a no-win situation. 35 years old. She's playing great tennis. She's not affected by the conditions the way she used to be. She's up against the number one player in the world who happens to be her sister, who happens to be trying to make history. I mean, I think the notion of Venus Williams ending – her sister's run in history was really far-fetched. Um, at the same time, Venus had to be thinking, wait a second, I'm, I'm playing awfully well here. If I can knock Serena off, I've, I've got a real chance. So it was a pity that a real opportunity for Venus Williams to get back on the board went by the wayside and, and was played under these difficult circumstances. But I, th- I think you're absolutely right, Elizabeth. She emerges as one of the big winners here. And these tennis ages, we may as well just, just blow up the model. They just don't apply anymore. Yeah. 35, 36 today is not what it used to be. That applies on the men's tour as well. Roger Federer is 34 years old yeah. and sure isn't playing like it. And even if he is, 34 means something different. And you know, you know what's funny about these ages is that all the other players are catching on to this. What that means is that the juniors aren't expected to make a big splash for a few years, no one's expecting teenagers to come out and win tournaments. No one expects Taylor Fritz, for example, or Riley Opelka, these young Americans that have done so well. No one's expecting big things from them. A player like Grigor Dimitrov, who's still in his early to mid-20s and hasn't achieved much, can say, look, i still got 10 years here, no rush. And even a player like Donald Young, 26 years old, that's the meaty year of his career. And he even talked about this. He said, look, I look at guys like Federer, and I think I could be doing this eight more years. So I, I think that the aging of the field is, is good for everyone, and I think that that really is, is sort of trickling down and players are sizing up their careers a lot differently than they used to. But do you think that the longevity, people thinking about longevity in terms of play, do you think it's affecting the way they approach the game, the way they play the game? I mean, consider Rafael Nadal, who came out of the bat, you know, at the start of his career, playing no holds barred, like his life depended on it. And as a result, I mean, his career, he's not going to play until 34, 35, like a Roger Federer. So do you think 
players are now moving away from that let me put everything into this one match this one serve approach that Nadal used and are now looking towards Federer and like evening things out and taking a more sophisticated approach to tennis yeah I, I think you're exactly right I think look it's not just tennis I mean if you do anything and suddenly you used to think you had an eight-year window to do it and now you think it's a 15-year window that really changes your approach and in the case of these players, if they're a little bit dinged up, they can take time off and not worry that they're squandering these opportunities by taking their time. A player like Nick Kyrgios, you know, take, take a year off. And uh, you're talking about less than 10% of your career now. You'll get those dividends on the back end. I think some of this is, is I think it's more sort of long-term and more how you're thinking about your career rather than an Nadal point by point. I mean, I think once the ball's in play, everybody's going to try their hardest. But I think things like injuries or mental breaks or, you know, Nick, Nick Curios at age 20, you know what, take, take a year off and you'll still have 13 more. It didn't used to be like that. I mean, John McEnroe didn't win a major in the latter half of his 20s. Um, it's, it's really changed the, the thinking and it's really enabled, I, I think it's going to enable these players to really pace themselves mentally as well as physically. The U.S. Open's about to reach its crescendo and that means you might have missed this fact. It's the opposite. It's the beginning of the NFL season. Week one, if you missed fantasy football's draft, you think it's too late. It's not. Check out our sponsor, FanDuel. You can compete for cash against fans from all over the world and play with a bonus of up to $200 by using the code BEYOND. Here's how it works. Go to FanDuel.com, use the code BEYOND, and this will get you a bonus of up to 200 bucks. It's only good for the first 50 people, so hurry, FanDuel.com. FanDuel, you know this. It's the leader in one-week fantasy football. More winners and more payouts than any other site. They're going to pay out 75 million, I was going to say 75 bucks, 75 million bucks a week this football season. Entry fees start as low as $1. There's a league for everyone. Over a million players have already won using FanDuel. Now it's your turn. You want to talk about the men's draw, too, now? Sure, we, uh, sure, sure. You, you brought up better, so why don't, why don't we just segue? I did get a chance to see him play. Um, once again, you know, I thought that the match against Gasquet was going to be a bit closer than what it was. Gasquet has had a great tournament. He's had a great summer. Um, so I thought he was going to play Federer a bit harder than what we saw uh, last night. But now, moving forward, Federer plays his country, fellow countryman, his friend, Stan the Man, um, they know each other's games well. They've played doubles against one another, Davis Cup. So it should be a good match. Um, however, I think Stan, at the end of the summer, he still has a lot to prove. Uh, he's one of those guys where towards over the last couple of weeks, controversy has outweighed a lot of his performance and goodwill that he's done in the game this season. So I think he's out there and he has a lot to prove against Federer. It's been an interesting 90 days for Stan Wawrinka. That, that will say. He uh, won in Grand Slam, his second. That, that ties him with Andy Murray. I mean, for perspective, yeah. <laughs> if Sam Rica suddenly wins two more matches, he's won more slams than Andy Murray. Stan obviously had a, a personal issue and was thrown into controversy. And then he's come here to the U.S. Open and won five matches uh, with, with generally playing very good tennis. I, I think you raise a good point about the relationship between Stan and Roger. It used to be sort of a, a big brother, little brother, an alpha and a beta. Stan seemed perfectly content to be the, the, the sidekick, the sidecar to 
to Roger, and I think that's changed. I mean, I, I don't think there's there's any friction between them. They had their dust up at, at the O2 at the end of last year, but quickly repaired that. They won Davis Cup. They're, you've seen them here. They're, they're sitting together, and I, I think there's a, still a, a collegiality between them. But Stan beat Roger, you remember, at the French Open, the yeah. last Grand Slam match they played. Stan's won the last two majors between them. I mean, Roger hasn't won a major since Wimbledon 2012. Of course, Stan has won two since then, and I think at this stage in their careers, I think Stan has really sort of taken a step under Magnus Norman. I don't think there's any disrespect, but I think he genuinely thinks he can beat Roger Federer. And that the dynamic of that relationship that's really changed, I think, reflects itself in their matches. I'm with you. I think Roger probably wins that match. I think the conditions are going to have a lot to do with it. Also, Roger has just looked dazzling. I mean, you mentioned that Jeff game match. That's a player that's number 12 in the world who's coming off a Wimbledon semi. Yeah. This is not – I mean, you, you pick up some first-round cannon fire and you can, you know, play Roger Federer tennis and do your saber and, and win and play for the crowd. But to, to have a match like that, it almost felt like an exhibition. To have an 87-minute ma- match in the quarterfinal of a Grand Slam against Richard Gasquet, you're, uh, you're hitting your spots pretty well. And I think that some of Serena's success is also probably going to help Roger. She really has been the story of this tournament. If so Serena weren't here, him, yeah. I think it would be a lot more pressure. Yeah. Time's running out and 34 years old and he hasn't dropped a set yet and only drops her twice. And as it stands now with Serena, it's, it's almost like the men's draw is really uh, – Sort of, sort of the warm-up Yeah, it's it's almost an afterthought. I mean, even if you look at the other semi between Djokovic and Chilich, I mean, have you ever seen a defending champion go through a tournament where basically no one is saying his name? I would say uh, I would add to that any number one ranked player going for his third major of the year. We are out of the business of picking U.S. Open winners, but here's one thing we will predict with certainty. The U.S. Open final, not a cheap ticket, no matter how you slice it. If you're going to go get the best deal, how do you get the best deal? You let SeatGeek do the work for you. If you go there now to SeatGeek, enter the code BEYOND in the app. takes less than a minute to download. Enter BEYOND. You're going to get 20 bucks off your first set of purchase tickets. But SeatGeek does what the airline does aggregators do as well you search for flights and hotels online it pulls in the best options from hundreds of sellers and that is what SeatGeek does with tickets to sports and music you're seeing virtually every option available for that game or match on one page no need to go anywhere else the mobile app is easy it's seamless it's safe no consorting with the U.S. Open scalpers on the boardwalk or on the seven train no risk of tickets for the 1915 final, not the 2015 final, on SeatGeek, store your credit card. Once you find a ticket you want, you tap. It's easy. You complete the purchase in two steps. No faster way to buy tickets. 20 bucks. Enter beyond in the promo code once you go into the app. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because to me it seems like Djokovic, for whatever reason, whether this is holdover from 10 years ago in the impersonations and Andy Roddick or whether this is the fact that he's only won here once, or that he's not Roger Federer, Djokovic still doesn't quite seem to connect with this 
New York crowd. I don't, I don't know uh, if, if, if you sense that at all. I, I think a lot of it had to do with the Andy Roddick. I mean, he, the, the tension between him and Roddick and when he mimicked Roddick on the court, that was done here at the U.S. Open. And you kind of don't do that against an, another American um, on the home soil. Also, I think people tend to not like the jokester part of his personality, um, especially since he is, you know, beside Roger Federer, who you can't really say anything bad about Roger. And then you have this kid who comes out and he's joking and he's mocking people. There was a point in his career where he was taking too long to serve. He was making excuses for things. So I think um, he's never really warmed up to the American crowd, despite the number of grand slams that he has under his belt. Um, if it comes down to him and Roger in the final, it's going to be an all Roger Federer crowd, 100%. And that might work against Djokovic because at times when the crowd comes against him, it tends to get underneath his skin. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. He, he seems bothered with that. It's sort of a what do I have to do here? Someone, someone had an interesting tweet uh, to the Tennis Channel. They said that Djokovic is asking to be liked and New Yorkers don't play that. We don't. I thought it was an interesting uh, <laughs> we don't. Way, to, way to frame it. In New York, it's go it hard or go home. Roger, Roger is such a, you know, everybody likes the artistry, but also, you know, Roger, remember, didn't lose a match here from 2000, you know, from 2003 to 2008, probably should have won the event in, two, in 2004, sorry, and probably should have won the event in 2009. Uh, Djokovic has only held up the trophy. This is hard to believe considering how good he is on hard courts. Djokovic has only won this title one, one time. time. You know, as yeah. many times as this. Marat Sapin, Leighton Hewitt, and Juan Martín Del Potro. So uh, I, I think some of it, too, might just be the fact that Djokovic has made a lot of finals here but only one title to show for it. You're absolutely right. I, I look forward to that match because, like you said, I do think Federer is going to take it um, against Stan. Um, but it'll be, an interesting, it'll be an interesting match just to see what the attitude, what the psyche is of Djokovic um, back on, you know, Ash Court in front of the crowd against Roger Federer. Totally agree. And I, I think, you know, remember Federer beat him in Cincinnati in their previous match on the same surface. I think the one, to me, the one big difference here is the best of five sets. Right. And Djokovic, we all know about his fitness and we all know about you know, with, with testified that the guy can get hot for an hour, and if you can just wait him out and get him to cool down, and we've seen that. We saw that with Djokovic and Batista Agut. We saw that, too, even to some extent with Kevin Anderson and Andy Murray. If you just wait it out, you, can't, you don't have this luxury in best of three. In best of five, if, if you wait it out, eventually a player's level will drop off. And, um, again, Djokovic over best of five sets is, is a really, really tough out. But I, I think Roger's the kind of guy who takes – you know, he, he's a confidence player at some level, and usually his confidence is quite high. And having beaten Djokovic twice this year, but more recently in Cincinnati just three weeks ago, I, I think that's going to be a, uh, a a factor there. Again, this, this presupposes they both get through their Correct. semifinal matches, right. and we get one versus two. And, you know, the, the other thing, too, we should mention, for all the upsets, especially on the women's side, we may end up with two finals of the first seed versus the second seed. Right. And uh, at the start of the tournament, that would have sounded crazy given the way the seeds were falling and the way it was, you know, every every match was a new uh, round of upsets. But this always happens at these tournaments. The first few weeks are chaos and the draws going to pieces and there are big gaps in the draw. And among XYZ, one of these is going to be a semifinalist. Can you believe it? And then by the end, 
sort of the wheat is separated from the chaff and we end up with a fairly, you know, a, a fairly normal final. And again, if, if Simona Holla plays Serena Williams, for all the chaos that preceded it and for all the seeds dropping out and, you know, Maria Sharapova pulling out and not being a three seed, uh, we're going to have one versus two. And uh, we have a good chance of that, I think, also on the men's side. All of this presupposes that the weather clears up. And looking at these weather maps, as I'm doing right now as we speak, it's not a pretty picture. Yeah, but I wasn't. Again, I, none I, of this will I, be an issue next year. I didn't think that um, very much tennis, I still don't think very much tennis is going to be played tonight um, because all the forecasts that I looked at you know, called for lots of rain this evening. Um, like you said earlier, it's been spitting on and off intermittently all morning, all afternoon. But I think this evening is when it's really going to get cooking out there. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they can get in this evening. I agree. And I also think that when people sort of play the scheduling game and when they should play this match here and when's the session going to end, you've got to consider television. Right. And the fact that it's week one of NFL and the fact that ESPN now has rights, which is a different set of priorities and a different set of competition and competing broadcasts than when you had network, when you had CBS here for the previous 40 years, I think cha that changes the equation. But it's a pity because I, I think ESPN overall has, has done uh, quite well with the coverage. And to have another one of these weekends go with on and off and check the website and this match not before seven and if it rains we might go to ash and the juniors go indoors and the possibility of a monday final when you're up against you know judge wapner or judge judy <laughs> it's just this is why we built the roof and it, it's on the one hand it's, it's encouraging that this is the last year we're going to have these issues but boy the tennis karma gods are sure making the organizers scramble here in well, these last few days. Well, because, what would be the uh, outcome if there's no if they if they can't play anything tonight? Would they do both men's and women's semis tomorrow? What I'm hearing, and I don't know when our ace uh, producer Jamie Lasanti is going to post this, so this all may be moot and we'll all look silly. But what I'm hearing now, as we record this early afternoon on Thursday, what I'm hearing is that the night session is looking very doubtful. They would play the women starting at 11 o'clock on Friday run that as a, essentially the night session now. When that session ended, they would clear the stadium. They would allow the men's, semis, the men's semi session in. And there's no scheduled session for Friday night. So as long as the weather holds off a little bit, I mean, even if they have to go to 10, 11 at night with these two men's semis, at least they'll get those in. But the, the players are going to be very, very unlikely to want to play without a day of rest. Right. Best of five matches this deep in the tournament. So... Um, I think that, sadly, I think that Monday final is, uh, is still an option. Hope it doesn't come to that. Right, right, right. Well, what do you think um, were some of your biggest disappointments of the tournament this year? Well, I mean, I think, I think you had big disappointments and small disappointments. Um, I mean, ironically, I think that this James Blake situation, which has been blowing up my Twitter, has been a colossal disappointment. Though I couldn't obviously stop talking about it yesterday. Tangentially to do with tennis. Um, I think Jeannie Bouchard doing so well finally this year, looking like the old Jeannie Bouchard. She gets into the second week. Jimmy Connors is a coach. All the momentum's building, and then she has this, this freak accident. Um, that's a disappointment. As far as results, a year ago, two years ago, we were talking about who's going to replace Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, Murray, and the three names that shot to the top 
Kane Shikori, Grigor Dimitrov, and Milos Raonic for very different reasons. All three of those players were bounced before the third round. In the case of Nishikori, he lost to the finalist last year. He lost, you know, before lunchtime on the first Monday to uh, to, to Benny Pear. And I think I think Van Valbrenka at some level has, has filled a vacuum, but you're talking about a guy who's north of 30. Uh, this next generation of the ATP, we sort of have this, this almost a dead generation, uh, this lost generation of guys ages, say, 23 to, to 25, 26, 27, uh, who just haven't gotten it done. Again, Raonic had an injury. Dimitrov's had a very, very strange year, a lot of transition on the court and off the court. But I, I would say those three spring immediately to mind. It was it was disappointing for a number of reasons that Maria Sharapova was unfit to play. Um, but otherwise, you know, again, we, we had this spring of upsets, and just every time you looked around, it was Ani Ivanovich and Lucy Zaparova and... Yet you get to the end of the business end of this tournament, and who do we have? We have one and two. You know, two Italian veterans who, at some level, you know, deserve to be here. Played well, Petrich Fidova, who's one of the few players who really had a shot to win this, couldn't quite take the heat. You have the feeling if that match had been scheduled differently, she would still be here. Then you have Serena Williams and Simona Halep, so you have got one and two still in the draw. And on the men's side. Same thing, Rafael Nadal. I'm not sure it was a huge disappointment given the way his year had broken that he wasn't here. I don't think anyone expected him certainly to go beyond that quarterfinal against Djokovic. He I lost think the, the disappointment there with Nadal Andy was Murray, the a way bit of a disappointment, ended. But losing to Kevin Anderson is no great shame. And then you look who's left. You've got the defending champion. You've got Dan Vavrinka, who's won two slams over the last 18 months. You've got Roger Federer and you have Novak Djokovic. So... For all the craziness and for all the chaos and who's going to be left, you end up with uh, some very reasonable draws here. I have got to run to a TV obligation. He's our TV guy. Thank you for joining us, Elizabeth Newman. Thanks for your handiwork, Jamie Lasanti. I hope this will all be moved. We're going to play two women's semis tonight. The skies are going to magically clear. But staring at these weather maps, sadly, it doesn't look like it. I'm going to grab an umbrella and head out there pretty soon. So hopefully I can bring some good luck. Bring some good luck. This is John Wertheim with Tennis Editor Elizabeth Newman. This is the Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast from Day 11 at the U.S. Open. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We will do it again next week. Take care.